Welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a triple jumper for the USA. He is a two-time Olympian, most recently represented USA at the Tokyo Games. He has represented USA since his under-23 debut in 2012 at the North American Championships. He is also a world championship finalist. Without further ado, and a warm welcome to Chris Bernard. How are you, Chris? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, 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 good. Yeah, it's good to have you on the podcast. So we have a routine. Um, I know you've listened to one of the podcasts, so you know where this is going. It's your very first living memory, either playing or watching a sport. Any sport, mm. living memory. Mm. Uh, it'd have to be t-ball when I was like five years old five six years old first like just uh feeling excited about actually hitting the ball off the tee like feeling accomplishment seeing myself maybe excel past others while still being behind others wondering why they might be better than me or and then also wondering why I might be better than other people <laughs> like uh just kind of being a kid uh like, uh, what's the word? Uh, imagination in sports, basically. Like, just living it, basically. Yeah. What's T-ball? What is that? It's a, it's baseball. Yeah. But there's um, there's no pitching. You're too young to actually try to have the hand-eye coordination <laughs> and pitch, hit the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a little T yeah. with the ball on top, and you hit it off the hit it off the T. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's like kid baseball. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. yeah no, because obviously in the UK, we don't have that. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you guys... You don't play cricket yeah, out there cricket, either. Yeah, cricket. Like you guys have a cricket. Okay, yeah. it's it's like cricket, but I guess American cricket. <laughs> okay, and in in terms of that, was that the only sport that you liked when you were a child, or was there other sports that you were into? No, it was more. That that was just the first one. Okay. Uh, I started off playing uh, baseball. Then I played soccer for most of my youth okay. um, until I was about twelve, and then um, after that, I played football. Um, all the way through high school and I didn't really get into track until my junior year in um, in high school Um, I did a little bit um, in elementary school like fourth fifth and sixth grade just one competition per year where like if you were one of the fastest kids in school they would be like oh yeah come run this meet so it wasn't anything serious with track until late in high school you know I'm really interested in soccer so I just want to ask you quickly about soccer so the majority of our guests, I would say at least, I would say about 90% of our American guests, they said that growing up, one of the sports that they played was, was soccer. And coming from my perspective, being from the UK where it's the number one sport, um, a lot of us, we don't see soccer being necessarily that popular over um, in the United States. But hearing so many people speak about soccer, it's, it's a little bit of a surprise to myself. And I guess it's almost exposing my own ignorance. So um, from your perspective, how popular is soccer over in the United States? And what is the coverage like? Mm. It's, you could, you could almost um, consider it in the likeness of track to where a lot of people do it, but not a lot of people pay attention to it. Okay. Yeah. That's why even to say like, like, uh, I wouldn't even call it like ignorance, like, from from the outside looking in, there isn't really any attention being brought to MLS or American track and field. And 
Um, I think it's because of the glamour that needs to come with sport when it's a, when it comes to America. Yeah. So I'm sure uh, 90% of the NFL tried soccer and tried track while they uh, while they were growing up, but you won't hear them talk about it much because it's not really paying the bills. Yeah. It might have been fun for them, but um, I guess for Americans, money is more fun than actual fun. Yeah. So that's kind of where we uh, where we tend to like bring all of our attention to is just the places that are um, more popular. And soccer isn't quite that out here yet, even though so many people play it. Honestly, I'm pretty sure uh, soccer and track and field are the two most popular youth sports in the United States as it is. And they're probably like two of the least paid uh, premier sports in the United States as well. That's crazy to hear that because, yeah, it's like across the world, it's it seems it's soccer is the main sport, but in the United States is, is very different when it comes to that. But then, like you mentioned, it all boils down to finances. Um, mm-hmm. Track and field, even track and field in the UK doesn't pay that well. Um, so you tend to get most people that are versatile in other sports tend to lean towards that because it's, that's where the money is. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I I like I like to think that to do track you have to have a passion in it. And um, but for a lot of people, their passion does lie in where they can find monetary value. So if that is in their athletic ability, then it's like okay, whatever athletic ability gets me the most money, that's where I'm going to throw my attention into. And for some people, it works, and for some people, it doesn't. So it kind of is what it is. Now, you mentioned cricket, and you have kind of got me thinking. So you mentioned about um, cricket in the UK. Now, for a lot of us in the UK, cricket is not a sport for us. It's almost borderline, and I think UK listeners will probably accept this, but um, there are kind of two ways cricket is 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 almost being played by. It's, it's, it's one's by ethnicity. So you will see a lot of kind of middle-class white folks playing it and uh, and across all Asian folks. So Asian being, you know, uh, Bengalis, Indians and Pakistanis, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've got that. And really, that, that really lines up my next question because you spoke about American football. So can you talk a little bit about your background and what, you know, what area you're from in the United States? And was was that uh, I guess a major factor where you found American football? Was it because of the area that you grew up in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm my um, I'm actually like first generation. My um, my dad was born in Trinidad and Tobago, so mm-hmm. I seen a cricket bat before, <laughs> <laughs> even 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 being in California. Yeah. And then um, my mom is from Guyana. Uh, uh, she didn't move here till she was 22. So um, uh, I would say culturally, it was kind of confusing because um, very strong Caribbean roots. Okay. But then growing up in California, where it's just it's really is a melting pot, but everybody's very chill. Not a lot of Caribbean, not, not a lot of black people, even at that in the part that I was living in. So um, I would say influence wise, it was like kind of uh, I would say it was broad in a sense to where like whatever I gravitated towards whatever wherever people kind of accepted me in is what i is, is what i um is what i ended up doing so um uh I, at recess in the middle of like uh, elementary school we play soccer a lot and i would excel so i told my dad i want to try soccer 
And then um, when I'd be in the streets um, of my neighborhood, we'd be playing touch football mm. and I'd be catching over people's heads and not running them. And I like that. I, I want to try football. And then, of course, like being I was faster than a lot of the other kids. I want to try. I want to try track. So I think uh, pending where I grew up, had I been in like Texas, potentially in a very like saturated football type of uh, city, yeah. then it would have probably been full head of steam towards football. Mm. Um, but there's definitely like in terms of like influence it really is i think based on like friends and family like maybe if i came from a a cricket playing family they would have found me a, a club cricket team in california somehow mm. but um yeah I, I would say i was an impressionable an impressionable kid so kind of whatever allowed me to feel like i was just having fun and free was where i was going and in, in terms of me that was baseball soccer football and track okay and then when it comes to track was was jumping was it the first thing of that you thought about or what did you do any of the sprinting events no i was i, was, I always liked jumping since i was a kid okay. for whatever reason just just jumping it, yeah it was like the closest thing to flying um it it kind of happened seamlessly to where like i, I just remember grabbing rebounds yeah. as a kid over kids heads where i was like dang I, I could get to this a little bit quicker than they could and just little hints that said like oh you might be a little bit better than people at this and it it I listened like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to have to run a 400 if I wasn't about to be winning. So jumping came real easy. <laughs> yeah. 400 has been mentioned quite a few times. <laughs> so, uh, um, so yeah, I guess my, my question is about your, I'm sure I'm not, it's not easy, but just in hindsight, you said that it was a jumping straight away or something that intrigued you, but I'm really interested in, your thought process, why? Because you were naturally fast. So the the natural process would be to, you know, at least try 60 meters, 100 meters, 200 meters. But mm -hmm. what was it that you, from what you can remember, you told yourself, yes, I know I'm naturally fast, but I want to try the triple jump. So uh, in, in elementary school, it's like, a, it was third, fourth through sixth grade. I was probably one of the fastest kids in this amongst it was like 10 to 12 year olds so uh at that time i did a, a hundred and i did the long jump because okay. it was like that just made a lot of sense for the fastest kid to do yeah um th those two events at the time and then um in middle school i started playing football and uh, um i would say the saturation of real athletes amongst football teams is a lot higher than soccer teams because it's more athletes and um honestly it was a uh, i would just say there was more ethnic kids in football that had speed like i did okay so uh my um once i went into junior or junior high school and i played football instead of being the fastest kid on the team i was like the fifth fastest so mm -hmm. i was like okay like if i can't beat all these kids what like i don't need to try to be a sprinter like i kind of lost mm -hmm. my sprinting prowess once i saw that i wasn't the absolute fastest kid because that's pretty obvious like when you're faster than everybody like there's always one kid on the team that's faster than everybody so it's like yeah. once i saw that it made more sense to me to think about being a receiver a football receiver than it did for me to be a, a sprinter jumper and then um once i finally got to my junior year in high school after kind of like pursuing football pretty thoroughly i could still tell that i was one of the faster kids but even on the football team i was one of the better jumpers to where like if it was a high pass I would always go jump up and get it. Like it was just stuff that translated to where I was like, well, yeah, I've always been able to jump well. I can dunk at a, at a, at a 
like my sophomore year. And um, then when it finally came to doing a track in my junior year, started out doing long jump. And I was one of the better long jumpers on the team. And I had never even seen triple jump before. So my junior year, I was a couple of meets where I didn't even make it into the sand pit from the uh, from the triple jump takeoff board. So I, I didn't really excel at it um, at first. But then once I did it, it just made sense. I was like, oh, like I'm I'm actually better than most people are at this by a lot. So um, like see where you go with it, because it's ob- it's taking it was tri- triple jump started to take me more places than I understood that I could take myself. So when, this, when I started to see that. It made a lot more. It made a lot of sense for me to do triple jump. Um, so this hits home. This really hits home. This hits home because, admittedly, I was told that I should do track because I was naturally fast. So within my school, in my year, I was always either second or third. Then <laughs> I'll say his name, Dwayne Douglas. He left, so I almost got elevated to being number two in in my school year. But it was always, I was always pushing to be um, a footballer, knowing that I wasn't good enough. But something, mm. something that you said really hit me, and it was the reason why, and I'll admit this on self-reflection, the reason why I didn't go into track was because I knew if I start racing other people in and around London, they will be faster than me. There is a, there is a chance that there are going to be people faster than me. So I kind of shied away from it and and stayed in my little football pot where I knew I was always going to be one of the fastest on the pitch. So my question to you is, in hindsight, I know that you love triple jump, etc. And I'm not disputing that. But would you, do you think in hindsight, do you think you gave up too easily um, on the sprinting side of things? Or are you, do you still think you would have naturally found triple jump? Mm, hindsight's tough it's it's always 2020 yeah i don't even like it's it's almost not even fair to try to hold myself accountable for um i would say a genuine decision that i made in the past yeah yeah because um if like um when, when i decided to do triple jump it, it it it's it's what felt right to me in that moment okay. so like like, cause I, I for sure think back to like because now with the understanding of the level of athlete that i became of course, like, oh, if I would have became this level of athlete in a, as a hurdler or an 800 meter runner, like it, being at this moment in my career, it, it makes anything seem like the sky is the limit. But like, it's, it's, it's really not fair to, well, at least not fair to myself. But I, I definitely think of those things where it's like, oh, wow, I, I actually did become a solid sprinter. I got, I got really strong in good positions. And now I could run like a like an elite 400 meter runner can run. I could run in those tall positions over long periods of time with good strength endurance. But I mean, that happened over, over, over education of triple jump. I can't say that that would have happened uh, through my career in the 400. And it's, it's just, everything is so random. Yeah, so yeah. I would, I definitely have some um, like, not, not, not necessarily regrets, but like some wondering like, damn, if I would have done the 400 at, at my all out ability, how good would I have been? And if that means I would have ran uh 46 like pat self on back if that means i would have ran a 44 high pat self on back but that doesn't mean i would have made the olympic team that doesn't mean i would have been it so it's like it's just i kind of got to just i i like taking it for what it is okay. and, and, and i'm and, I, and i'm okay with that i am okay with yeah. that i think that shows you it's not, it's not too 
Yeah, we shouldn't really dwell too much on the past because that can affect our can affect our future. And I think the, your mindset um, in describing it the way you just describe it kind of sums it up. Um, because yeah, that that can be a problem for a lot of people dwelling too much on stuff that they haven't done, um, which mm-hmm. could definitely affect the future. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, um, my next question kind of relates around training. So I know I don't know how it is in the US, but in the UK, when a lot of people start training um you either doing sprint training or you're doing long distance training and you're not they're not really focusing on the field events how was it for you when mm-hmm. you started well uh most high schools uh t- terrible coaches in, in the states really really bad coaches mm-hmm. so i would say you're doing a bunch of stuff that's making you worse at your event uh-huh. than, than is making you better so it's like they're they're teaching you habits that makes sense, um, I would say, um, counterintuitively. So w- what they think they're telling you um, is actually putting you further away what you're what you're supposed to be doing. Okay. So I would say most people start their training unless they have a good club team or a good cl- club coach kind of just doing whatever. And then you end up getting to a, if you get to a good university, then like they might get your form correct or they might teach you how to bound correctly. There's just so many little pieces of development. Um, it's it's hard to say like which one I, I would say benefited me the best or where I even like started because uh, I, I didn't even really do hard sprint training in high school. And then once I got to junior college, we definitely didn't do any distance training. We did some more sprint training and some more bounding. And I would say every little piece that I that they ended up adding that made sense to the kind of athlete that I was, I ended up benefiting from it. But in terms of like speed training, distance training, and like uh, what developed me, I can't say it was one or the other, or like if it was like, like what specifically it was just because it took so long before I actually got proper training. It was like, it was more untraining. Um, mm. Yeah, basically than actual training. All the bad habits. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's interesting. So when when would you say was your when was you when would you say you first experienced good um training at um what period in your life? Probably like well, when I first got to university, I got good training where it was consistent and um we got like I got a good base uh, like a good a, a good base of conditioning, and I got a, a good amount of strength. But uh, once I kind of got into my actual like a professional like career, so um, 2011 was when I got to ASU, and then I, w- I went I was basically pro at 2014. And um, once I went pro, and I got a, a couple good seasons of like focus training, I realized that I was potentially training myself in the ground when I was in um, in college. So like what I it's all these questions will always have so much duality for me because I remember what I thought in the past that was right. (laughs) And then I remember like figuring out why I thought it was right and what was actually wrong about it. So like the strength and the conditioning that I did early in my career, it gave me the resilience to jump far, even in bad positions, but it wasn't like once that started working against me, and I needed to be more focused on my positions and the speed and the strength didn't make as much or the speed and the endurance didn't make as much of a difference as 
my positioning in terms of being healthy, it was like I had to start like maybe I, I had to start delegating <laughs> where I was putting my energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it couldn't just be like blinders on do this work because it uh, the sport is so specific that it, 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 I had to be so specific just so my hamstrings didn't rip off the rip off the bone or just so I didn't have patella tendonitis anymore. Right. So all those little things like, yeah, it, it kind of makes the questions. It's like I have to like weave through how I know that I feel about it with that. Cause I don't want to just give like, Oh, get strong first. Oh, get fast first. Yeah. Cause it, it, it really doesn't apply to every athlete. Like some athletes are strong and fast mm-hmm. already, but their hips are in the wrong place. And because of that, they're going to be perpetually in hamstring, um, hamstring tear territory because they just can't get their hips in front of them. So, you know, it, it really is person to person, but uh, for me, I would say, um, outside of like strength building, outside of endurance building, it was really just paying attention to the process, seeing where I'm lacking, and then putting in the hard work to fix those things before uh, moving on to the next step. Okay. When it comes to your relationship with coaches, um, have there has there been a point ever when you've had a coach and you just don't agree with what they're saying? And when you've been in those situations, how have you um, how have you dealt with it? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, yeah, I've for sure been in situations where um, I didn't agree with the coach or I couldn't really see what the big picture that they were trying to um, paint for me was. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like to ask questions. Um, and I, and, I, and I, I trust my moral code to know that if I am asking a question that's coming from somewhere good, I'm not trying to offend anybody. And if they take offense to it, then they're taking something personally. They're, they're, pa- they're painting. They're basically putting themselves in or acting selfishly in a situation to where it was supposed to be a broad conversation. So me having an understanding like that for all situations in life um, allows me to approach people and, and speak my mind without me feeling like I'm trying to offend them because I know I'm not. And usually it means that we can have a, a productive conversation rather than like like heads knocking. So every time I've had a, if I've had a dispute with the coach, it's always, I've spoke my mind um, to try to get to the to the bones of what they're trying to tell me because I don't understand and if I see like if I see a disconnect between the two like they're not understanding me I'm not understanding them then I'll take it upon myself to figure it out on my own like uh I try not to I try to be out of the way I try not to I try not to affect yeah too many people that around me um and that's just my comfort zone so if I say something and it's not being heard I'm not about to get louder I'm going to now get more internal, analyze it differently, and just try to figure out where I can get what I need on my own rather than um, trying to pull teeth to get it from somebody else. Okay. As an experienced triple jumper, what are the three key attributes that you require in a trainer or coach? Ooh, you said the three? Yeah. Probably more than mm. that. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean... Attention to detail is so, 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 so important. Mm. Um, that's yeah, that's huge. I feel like attention to detail in all aspects of coaching kind of covers everything. Um, if you're paying attention to the details of your athlete and you, that means you can almost see into the future for them, which if you can have a coach that can do that, that can really like understand what's going on with you and like nip things at the bud before they get to the bad point. That's a beautiful thing to have. It takes so much thinking off of your off your shoulders as an athlete. Um, uh, 
empathy. I think coaches need uh, need uh, need a, a large amount of empathy. They don't they don't need to absolutely act upon it just because that they just because they do feel bad for an athlete yeah. doesn't mean that they need to soften what's going on. But I think that they need to have an understanding of what their athlete is going through so they can know when to push and when to back off so the athlete isn't just feeling completely drained. Yep. I see that all the time. Athlete feeling drained and being too scared to say something. Next thing you know, they're um, they're hurt because not even necessarily because of a physical injury, just because of the negative. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that they're just pumping into their body. So I, I think empathy is huge. Um, dedication, huge. Like, yeah, co- your coach for real is like, like that's that's your leader for real. Like, like you can be a great athlete. You can be a you can be an athlete that loves to lead. Yeah. But if you have like a coach that is like as good of a leader as you or a, or a better one, it really just like, like that support system, it takes off so much thought. And as a, like, like the, as a triple jumper, I know how technical things could be. You just have a lot of thinking that you got to do. So like your, your proper support system, your proper coach, like if you have a coach that um, let's, if you could be a simple minded person and your coach just allows you to stay simple, all you got to think about is run, jump. Just go out there, run, jump, and not and let me take care of the rest. Yeah. That gets people medals. Like it's you can just simplify everything. Like yeah, but it's it's, it's so many little things. Mm. Like uh, trying to trying to find the perfect coach is almost isn't fair. So like, <laughs> but these little attributes that like you see in coaches, like don't take them for granted. Uh, definitely like gas your coach up if you see them doing stuff like that. Like keep doing that, coach. I appreciate you for it. Because all that stuff, um, not every coach is capable of it. Um, so when you do, when you do see a good attribute in your coach, make sure you compliment on him, compliment him on that. You said something quite interesting there. Like gas your, um, gas your coaches up because I think that is also something that is very important. How you, how you demonstrate to the coach that you appreciate some of the good stuff that they're doing. Because the more you're able to do that, the more that they will feel that they're doing something right, and they'll probably be willing to go a bit deeper for you than if you were not doing that and I think it's something that not a lot of us think about yeah it's uh it's reciprocal it's reciprocal and that's and that's exactly why um if an athlete is like uh just like loafing the coach mm-hmm. would get frustrated at them it's like how you expect me to put in um towards you if you can't even give back and then that and he, it's like there's always that one athlete that's like the it's like the coach's pet, like the brown noser. But for whatever yeah. reason, the coach <laughs> likes them still, but the rest of the team doesn't. Yeah. It's like, well, the coach sees that this fool is willing to work, yeah. do anything that he's that he's told, and like, yeah, just work. And that's that's appreciated. Like, I'm not a coach uh, yet, or if, I don't know if I'll ever be a coach. But I when I imagine it, and I think of like an athlete like coming to my office all the time, having hella questions for me, like. I mean, as long as it's not like too much, you know, some people like, you know, but just like them actually being as passionate about it as I am, that's, that's motivating. Like, especially from somebody that you see potential in, like, oh, that's, that's going to get you off your ass as a coach. Like, so having both of those, like, that's, that's like, it's um mutually beneficial. They make money, you make money, they make medals, you make money. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a beautiful relationship when it can go like that. Yeah, like Ed you actually got me thinking as well. And I think in any form of coaching, mentoring, I think moving forward, yeah, I think I'll probably take that into consideration because you just, you kind of take it for granted. They are instructing you on to do something. They're they're developing your skills, 
but then it's just yeah thanks coach see you later and that's it but actually if you're a little bit more explicit in how you feel yeah i think it will do something for them intrinsically it'll probably get them more galvanized inside so yeah that's something that you've actually really made me think about so yeah thank you for that um my next question is about arizona state so I, you know, being from the UK, I, I got an, a, an absolute love and interest in how athletes find their university. So I'm really always intrigued about what made you, what was the process? How did you find Arizona State? What was it about it um, that got you intrigued and gripped and therefore deciding that was going to be the college for yourself? Well, for me, because I, I went to a junior college first. So um, I would say my, well, do you, do you guys know about junior colleges, like the process, like usually yeah. what it means when somebody goes to junior, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, usually when somebody goes to a junior college first, they didn't have many options in the first place. Yeah. So um, went to a junior college and uh, I won state and long and triple jump in, in California. So um, my, my options broadened from there and um but i still wasn't like ridiculously recruited and i didn't even know a lot about the uh college system in the first place like i knew who some of the best teams were um i didn't know much about recruiting visits how many that i get the best time to go on them um so i I really only went on i went on one official recruiting visit and that was to asu yep and then um, I had a couple other looks, but at my recruiting visit to ASU, they offered me a scholarship and that was the only scholarship offer, like solid offer I had at the time. Okay. And um, and it was like the best school at like um, that was talking to me. It was Pac-12. Um, the, I liked the jumps coach, um, uh, Coach Kraft. He was Dwight Phillips coach in, uh, in college as well. So like, I mean, I knew, I definitely knew who Dwight Phillips was. Mm-hmm. So I, I heard enough and seen enough when I went to ASU to know like this isn't California. Yep. This isn't junior college. This isn't just like some podunk school either. This is a real D1 school mm. and it's the best look that I have. So that was kind of enough. Like after I saw that, I wasn't going to wait around for like, like any other people that hadn't seen me yet. Um, and honestly, I liked that. I liked that they recruited me based off what I had done to that point and made me feel valuable. Yeah. Cause like, I didn't want to have to be trying to prove my value. Like as an athlete, like I, for whatever reason, it, it, it did feel good knowing like, Oh, this coach has been hitting me up. Um, I know I'm good. Like I'm, I'm jumping far. I can't really prove it to myself based off of my um, junior college performance outside of how I'm comparing to other junior college teams. Mm-hmm. But this coach sees me as being a good enough athlete to perform at the PAC 12 high level. And I appreciate that. So like kind of just, like that genuineness, like I think there's a lot of um muck or like a lot of um a lot of bullshit that gets thrown around in the recruiting process. Yeah. But I don't feel like I I don't feel like I really had to go through that. Um, which was lucky, which was lucky of me. Uh in the moment, I had no idea what was going on. I just went with I went with what felt right in the moment. And um I think thinking back to it, I might have been a little bit more patient or a little bit more like uh like I would have try to reach out more just to like just to see my options because i think options are good but uh all in all uh i think it went well just based on 
the little bit of information that I had and like the just kind of like based on my situation. Not a lot of people end up coming out of a junior college to a to to a better situation. A lot of people they end up just like kind of fizzling sometimes after they have some uh, some young success. So I, I'm glad it worked out for me. Yeah, because I've, I've I know TV is not real, but I've I've watched like some few sports american stuff and then a, a lot you see that a lot of people when they end up going to junior college it's like they've just given up on their dreams and uh, it's juco's tough yeah so yeah. It, it, um, it just ma- it makes you feel that you have to have a certain <clears throat> mindset to 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 persevere because that's the thing like, I, I know the the sporting system is very different in the u.s to the to the uk and it's like this drum like you want to go to d1 you want to go to d1 you want to go to d1 Mm-hmm. But then, when you don't have the options, it's like, oh, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just say, like, um, wanting to go to D one so bad, and like what you said, like being in such like a desolate situation in junior college, where it's like you're really just motivated by yourself. So, like, mm-hmm. whoever's the most motivated guy on the team is usually the guy that makes it out, and he might drag some people along with them just off of like the fact that he's showing people the way off of like you know, just a natural motivation. And I would say I had that natural motivation to where I was like, I'm just going to work and I'm going to see what happens. So then to uh, actually feel supported by a coach or like, cause when you, another, another thing when you go to junior college is you don't know if you're good enough. Cause if you were, you'd be at a D one already, or you'd be like, so at this point it's like, I have to reprove myself. And if my high school uh, numbers were good enough, people would have been talking to me. They would have been recruiting me. So for an actual D1 coach to be like, you're good enough. We believe we've seen enough. Like that was, that was a, that was really inspiring. I would say. I want to talk to you about it's, it's actually alongside what you was mentioning. Um, and it's about performing, um, regionally. So in America, especially in the sprints you you win in the regionals you're pretty much gonna get into the final of the olympics like that's just the standard that is just the level over in the u.s so what i want to ask you is what was the standard like from a regional level for a triple jump and in winning winning the regionals how does that set you up um you know for the world scene so re- regionals would be just like our uh, our U.S. championships. Yeah, nationals. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's honestly it's a double edged sword for real, for real, for real. Like it's the uh, we have we American athletes have a very clear understanding of how tough it is to make it out of our championship. Yeah, and I would say that it works, it works for us in terms of having big marks at the championship. And then potentially against us when it comes to having big marks at world championships mm. and at the Olympic Games, because there's no getting around that um that stress level, I mean, especially when it comes to peaking. I, I I think when it comes to peaking, like outside of whatever your coaches is doing for you to to uh, periodize your training in a way to get you ready for you to be at the highest physical level at that moment, your subconscious is also doing things that's trying to get you ready. So like. No matter, no matter what you're trying to do for this peaking phase, you're going to exert so much just off of the understanding that you know you have to be war ready yeah. for that championship. Yeah. So um, if the world championships to follow that is four weeks away, like 
depending on how your training is going, like that might not be enough time for you to actually decompress hard enough, get a good training block back in, and then go back to that world championships. And for a lot of people, me included, after you make that world championship team and that Olympic team, just the the allowance for you to finally take a deep breath is like, it's almost like that's, you don't tell yourself it's enough, but you can just feel that you finally calm down yeah. and you want it to calm down. Yeah. Like, it's like, damn, yeah. like, okay, like now, yeah, I want to, I want a medal, but like, you can't lie to yourself. Like you can't, you know, you can't get that medal until you get past this championship. So you know that this championship low key is higher than this medal. Mm. Like, especially if it's not automatic that you're making it. Cause like people like, a, it's like, I mean, Will and Christian are great examples of like th them being so elite that they don't necessarily have to stress for a championship. And then they can, they can definitely be ready um, for, for a world or for an Olympics. But for those other people that are in the, the thirds and the seconds and thirds, like, having an understanding for their situation of like, like, damn, like, I don't, I didn't even know I was going to make it past this point. Now I got to re regroup my brain mm. to do another peaking thing. I'm, I'm already just excited to be here. <laughs> so like, yeah, I would say like having both of those, like that it's, it's a duality. Like um, it's hard to be, uh, it's like, you, you don't want to, <laughs> this is, this is the same thing like prelims at world championships. You don't want to overexert yeah. in the prelim and have nothing for the final. Yeah. And same thing with world championships where like, mm. I mean, with, uh, with our regionals, like you, you just kind of, you want to have enough to get through, but you have no idea what that is. So it's kind of like, I would say it's a, it's a tough line to tow. It's a, it's a tough wave to surf and, and it works out the way that it works out uh, for everybody. Like it, it's different for everybody. Yeah. It's all situational. The perspective of every individual athlete is like, like I'm sure everybody would explain it differently. Like what makes them comfortable as an individual, mm. but it's a, it's a, I know it's tough for everybody. Like long story short, do do you think that might be why some some athletes that may have not been expected to qualify for for the World's or Olympics and then they do and they perform at their best sometimes struggle to get past the early rounds of Olympics or the Worlds. Mm -hmm. I think that's why all American athletes struggle to get through. I mean, even all all athletes struggle to get through early rounds. It's it's so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that that and it kind of goes back to what I was saying about support system, and like um, the more you can like have somebody uh, push away all the noise and get you closer to just running freely, like that's how you'll be able to compete well. Because it's it's I think at those levels. It's um, it's a bunch of very prepared athletes. Like if uh, I would say like, if at the top level there's ten athletes, um, all at a hundred percent, and then like we'll say the guy that got first place only got knocked down to uh ninety three percent off of the variables around him. The guy in second place got knocked down to eighty nine, and then you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And they just like so depending on your variables, depending on your support system what your country because some people's countries if you're the only athlete yeah. that's doing great for them they're going to have a massage therapist for you there they're going to they'll bring your best friend over if it just keeps you calm <laughs> you can bring your girlfriend like you can do anything like just whatever is going to keep you in that mindset and like you see that at the top level and it, it makes sense like I, I don't envy I, I mean i envy them for it but i'm not actually jealous of them I, I respect it so like but it's stuff like that like it's like oh no i see why you were able to perform at such a high level when it counted you weren't you didn't have shit to think about then practicing 
like like normal or it's like jumping like normal. So like understanding those variables for anybody outside of just Americans, because like I don't even want to try to act like like I mean track is hard for everybody. Yeah. Like it, it really is. It's 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 a tough making the Olympic team is very hard, it's extremely hard. So I give credit to anybody uh, able to do it when it counts. Yeah, for sure. Especially the USA. Goodness, the the standard is just honestly it's ridiculous because you just think to yourself this is only meant to be trials but then you almost right. have to be at peak shape then yeah. you then you qualify and then you have to go, go into peak shape again it's just it's just total madness in my head it's absolute madness yeah so yeah and even even you saying like like the 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 phrase it's only meant to be trials never like that doesn't even cross <laughs> It's like for us, it's like it's trials. Yeah. Olympic trials is coming up. It's like when it, but in reality, it's a trial. It's literally a trial run. Yeah. Like this is like yeah, like it's it's not even this isn't even for the the big the big show. It's I mean it is, but it's not the big show. It's literally a trial. Yeah. But nah, it's like nah, this is this is the last trial you might ever do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm. I'm a big foodie. I love the the mechanics when it comes um, f- when it comes to food. I love the science about it. So, can you talk to us a little bit about probably go talk to us probably in the last ten years, um, kind of the 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 periods that you've gone through, the the fads, the diets. What have you tried Ooh. out? What have you realized is not good for your body? So, can you just talk to us about that in the last ten years? Yeah, for sure. Um, well. I'm 31 now, <laughs> 21 for like in college, fast food, like <laughs> easy meals, mm-hmm. like kind of, uh, I, I've had a really bad sweet tooth for the, for the majority of my life. Um, very little salads, um, like very, I would say 10 years ago, my understanding for nutrition was very low. So I didn't really like, I had no guilt for what was being put into my body because I didn't understand what it was really doing. Okay. Yeah. And then um, a few years into me, um, like coming to, because when I, I I got to the Olympic Training Center in 2013, and they had a, they have a full cafeteria with like salad bars and like they have nutritionists on site. And um, when I first got there, I, th- I would complain more about meals and like the taste of stuff like that. <laughs> but um, they're not trying, they're not, they're not seasoning the food. Really. They're just they're literally, they're putting it out there for us to eat. And um, once, once I kind of like, it took, I finally started to understand what they were, what they were trying to accomplish with the meals, which is like nutrition. It's like, okay, like, yes, the taste is important, but what we're really trying to do here is fuel your body correctly for you to perform. And um, so I would say like, I, luckily for me, I never really had to cut down on like carbs. I tried doing like creatine for a little bit. Yeah. Um, it made me cramp up. I didn't like it. So like in terms of like spe- like specific diet plans, I've never been one to like count carbs, count calories, or like um, cut out pasta, like anything like that. It's really just been like don't don't eat too much. Yeah. Like um, portion control. Try not to eat too late at night. Um, but the biggest thing for me, like something that I saw, like actually made me hold a slimmer, uh, a slimmer look, a, uh, just like a whole, I think I held less body fat at that point is uh, when I cut out sugar, that was like the, mm. the biggest thing I would say that. Yeah. Um, uh, cause, um, 
I noticed that like my skin was starting to, in 2015, my skin was starting to break out and I've had, it was something I dealt with all my life. Um, doctors would say it was like eczema, but like they didn't really have an actual like cure for it or a fix for it. They would just kind of give me topical creams to help fix it. Talk to my massage therapist and I feel like everybody that has like massage therapists, they know that they're kind of holistic. And she was like, um, you should try cutting out sugar. And honestly, uh, I listened and it was one of the hardest things that I've had to do. You don't realize how many things have sugar in it until you can't eat sugar. Mm -hmm. So all your sauces, every imaginable drink on earth <laughs> outside of water, <laughs> damn near has sugar. Um, yeah, it, and um, so just, it, um, but then like once I finally weaned myself off of it, where before like I would be sitting like at a 192 for my weight, uh, I, I don't know what that is in kilos, but um, I, I wish I did. I, uh, yeah, I, but I ended up dropped like uh, sitting, I, I ended up sitting more closer to 185 and just having like a, a a better definition about me just about just off of cutting out uh, sugar. So um, I think that told me like the importance of really um, what exactly you're putting into your body because sugar really is like, um, I mean, even natural sugar is kind of like poison. Like it, it's, there's nothing really, there's no nutritional value into it. And if you could pay attention to the nutritional valued things that you're actually putting into your body, so you're eating salads, like there's not, a, there's not a bunch of like nonsense with that. There's not a bunch of preservatives with that. And like, if you're a like organic food or just like, you know, just making sure you're not putting in a bunch of processed stuff into your body. I felt like has been the, uh, the simplest way for me to maintain good, like health, um, without driving myself crazy. Mm. Cause I, I, I'm an overthinker naturally. And I think to protect myself, I try not to have to, like, I try to simplify things. So I'm not like, oh, how much calories do I put in today? What's my calorie deficit? Oh, I have to be at a calorie deficit to make sure I lose weight. If I don't put in this much protein, I'm not going to be able to see any gains. Like, I feel like all that stuff would, could, could potentially stress me out. Mm -hmm. So I try to simplify everything. And with simplifying it, it, for me, it was really cutting out sugar and keeping the preservatives down and, and hella water like water, 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 water over any any energy or over any sports drink or anything like that. Okay, so um, next question. You kind of touched on it um, in terms of support network when it comes to your coaches. How was, it, how was it like for you when it came to your support network with your friends and family? And did everyone understand when there was times where you may just not, it may not hear from you for a while because you're focusing on training. Did, did everyone get that? Yeah, I have, um, I, I'm lucky in that sense where, um, my family's always been, my family and my friends have always been so natural about that. And I don't know if it's just cause of like, I think the way that I am plays a part into it. Like, uh, I'm, my energy is so consistent that like, uh, if a, if a few months have passed, and somebody does see me and I'm given the same energy, they don't have a second thought like, damn, like maybe I should have been checking in on them because I haven't, I haven't showed, I guess, a need for me to be checked in on for me to be okay. And, um, I, I think I've helped with that because I, I know the value of me trying to be, um, self-reliant, um, and also my family just believing and trusting and like my friends believing and trusting, uh, the, that I am 
trying to do the best for myself. So um, I guess with that being said, like they've been really good for me in that sense. And yeah, I appreciate them for it. I think that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, quick one. It just came to my mind. So culturally, um, so obviously you're, you're from you're of Caribbean descent. So in terms of when you finally said, yeah, I want to become a triple jumper, what was that like? Because I can remember episode, was it 14, Ed, with Abby or Yepetan? Mm. And I remember she mentioned how her, her Nigerian parents, they weren't interested. They, 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 they were not interested in her doing sports. It was strictly education. <laughs> so from your perspective, um, what was that like? Um, well, it's kind of funny. But, but... My dad, he was very strict on me growing up. Yeah. Because he he didn't he was military. He did thirty years in the military. He did a full stint, <laughs> full stint military. Yeah. Wow. Um. But it was he was strict in the sense that he was like it was like don't don't like don't do anything to cross me type thing like like use your common sense and if you're using your common sense then I'm then I'm I'm off your back. So like. I don't. I. I guess I've. I've. I've been a pretty genuine kid for most of my life, so I. I never really got into bad mischief outside of being a class clown. Okay. <laughs> and um. And like, so like my high school grades, honestly, they were they were terrible. They were terrible, terrible. And um. In junior college, it wasn't much better. But um. My parents just let me live, kind of thing, where it was like, oh, you're not um. You're not getting drunk on the weekends. You're not. Uh, you're not getting arrested. You're like, I, I think my parents just had an understanding of how bad things could be. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's uh, he's not doing any of that. He's just he's just running track and and playing video games all night. Like, which I don't know. Like, I I know parents could have like I know there's parents that maybe would have been harder on their kids over that. But that freedom really allowed me to kind of just yeah. feel supported in anything that okay. I in in anything that I do and and um yeah. Uh, I appreciate them for that because I I never really felt pressured to be anything specific. Mm-hmm. I would say, which you know, I feel like it it had its it had its gives and its takes. Like I I never felt pushed towards anything either. But in terms of like my development, I think it allowed me to develop so genuinely, and um and I, I definitely appreciate my parents for that. Mm. Do you think that approach worked perfect for you, but may have worked different for someone else? Mm, yeah absolutely i wouldn't even say it worked perfect for me i would say like eh, nothing's perfect i wouldn't even say i got lucky life is so random in that sense Mm. like um because what one person needs it's like it's like it's that nature versus nurture argument like which one is it Uh, like it could have just as easily domino affected me into i don't know still living in tempe like I, I like it. It could have domino like <laughs> them being that chill. I could have ended up robbing a bank for all I know. Like you yeah. never. It, it it really is person to person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say it's person to person. Just paying and paying attention to that to to the individual. I, I yeah. That mindfulness, self awareness, like all that stuff. That's like individual. That's all we really have. Like our individual perspective. So when trying to apply perspective to another individual, it really is like 
uh, a one in a billion type situation. Like, so the only way to really get it right is to understand that one individual, mm. like genuinely, mm. or talk to them. And now it's been a few months now since you returned from Tokyo. So, but I still want to say congratulations. Now, the reason why I will Thank always you. say that with this Olympics in particular, anyone that tried to qualify for the Olympics and anyone that actually did qualify and participated, I will always say congratulations because of really the, I guess the unique situation that everybody was in now, because boxing is my favorite sport. Um, I know that at amateur level and I guess really grassroots level, there were a lot of people that, that stopped boxing. Um, I know there were professionals who were probably one and oh, two and oh, but they stopped um, because of the pandemic. They weren't getting any fights. Um, things were just a little bit up in the air for them. So when it comes to athletes continuing and striving to reach their goals, I will always, for me, especially with this Olympics, I will always respect athletes. So that's why no matter when, whether it's a few months away, whether it's next year, the year after, anyone that I, that anyone that participated at 2020 Tokyo Olympics or even try to um, qualify, they always, they get huge respect. Um, so that's something I wanted to say to you. Um, thank you. Thank you, genuinely. Um, nah, yeah, it's fine. Nah, it means a lot, honestly, because... It, anyway, yeah, uh, we'll probably speak about that offline because it, it, it means a lot because people like me who are watching it, um, athletes like yourself, you lot didn't have to do it. You know, this was something that you decided to, or something your mindset said, no, I'm going to keep persevering. So, yeah, definitely for myself as a, um, a viewer, I definitely can appreciate it. But what I wanted to ask you is about your Olympic experience. How was it for you? Um more specifically, what did you learn about yourself considering you was in a unique situation? Ooh. Mm. Well, the, the experience, first, like, it was different, <laughs> different. Mm. Like, it, uh, that, I've been answering this question since I got back, and it, it it's like I'm, it's really hard to put it into words what the experience was like, especially after having gone to Rio as well yeah. and knowing what it could have been. Yeah. So like, I, 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 I genuinely live in the reality of the situation and the reality of the situation is that it was different. Yeah. Like it was like it, it was almost like, it was like prison, uh, summer camp. Like, like it was, it was um it was being grounded but at like your favorite cousin's house like it like mm. it was it, it had everything that it was supposed to have but we couldn't do anything with it mm. so like i would say a lot of it for like for a lot of people me included was smiling through the pain but then also feeling like should i should i have any type of um resentment towards what's going on because i'm here like and i know that this thing couldn't have happened so like i know for me i wasn't ecstatic the whole time um but i was definitely grateful the whole time that the games was actually happening mm. um but then i was also aware of the fact that there's a lot of stuff 
that makes these like this experience feel more like motivating and like <laughs> uh fun it's supposed to be a festival so it was like um it was uh, it, it it really was like both like fun and not fun yeah. like we had to be in our dorms we'd have to be in our dorms all day but we didn't really feel comfortable being around each other yeah like that. yeah so it it was like it 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 was an interesting experience it was like you kind of had to smile through it or tell yourself like oh i'm enjoying this even if you're bored not doing anything mm. in tokyo in a village mm. where you could only eat in a cafeteria mm. like you know like it it was just a little bit of both we didn't have any tvs in the room. we couldn't play any video game like <laughs> we could, it it was it was different yeah. it was different uh, what I learned about myself is to honestly to to stay self-aware. Like I'm, I'm glad I was able to interpret it like that. I think that if I wasn't able to interpret these things, like the the genuine reality of the situation, I would have felt more confused about um, why I felt the way I felt after the games, or even like, I mean, for me. Uh, answers bring comfort so i'm glad that i was able to comfort myself through the experience rather than feeling like um i was taking the experience for granted for whatever reason like because that's a that's a tough thing to live with like telling yourself one thing while feeling another and i don't feel like i had to necessarily live with that too long after the games because i was fully understanding that I didn't have to feel like this was the most ex amazing experience yeah, of my life. Yeah. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it was literally a pandemic Olympics that I was happy to be. At. I was, I was genuinely happy to be at it. Very genuinely happy to be there. But, um, we're still in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. yeah. We still didn't have any fans in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still kind of, yeah. Still had to do that spit test every morning. Like this is a little, like a bunch like, you know, it was what it was for real. That's the thing. It's just um, in terms of mental energy, it must be it must have been at the time very draining because you're not just thinking about your event, you're thinking about the stuff you have to do. You're thinking about I don't want to catch COVID because I'll I'll be out of it. Man. Yo, for real. Um, how I felt, uh, I didn't realize how much anxiety that I was holding on to coming into Olympic trials until after I made the Olympic team. And I still felt anxious. I was like, damn, I'm actually been perpetuating this angst just to keep myself prepared. And now that it's time to put it down, I'm too practiced in just being too ready. Like I'm too practiced in being, yeah, like anxious all the time to, to stop feeling anxious. And I felt like having, like having experiences like that leading into trials and knowing like, damn, like I just did something amazing and I, I'm confused on how to feel about that because of the world that we're living in. And then now taking that into the games, like it's, it, I mean, it's a lot. It was it, like, the whole thing was a lot to be honest. Mm. That's it. Uh, so like, I'm glad, I'm not fully glad to how it worked out overall. Of course I would have wanted to do better, but I definitely understand how much worse it could have been. So overall, yeah, kind of got to take the good with the bad. So, I, no, actually, I'm not going to ask this. Um, what methods did you use to reduce your anxiety? Ooh, uh, I started meditating a lot okay. during uh, 2020. I've, I've always been into, like, I like sports psychology. I don't see a sports psychologist, really. Um, 
too often at all, but I'm into the practice of it. I'm into psychology. I'm into, like I said, mindfulness and self-awareness already. And, um, and, um, I just, I, I, I feel like I have a very good genuine understanding for how it applies to life. Yep. So, um, so once I started to, um, I guess, or once I continued to think along those processes and um, understanding that I was maybe feeling like the moment was a lot. And when I say the moment, I mean any moment. This moment can feel like a lot for people that deal with anxiety. Yeah. Um, but understanding that just sitting in moments can feel like a lot, it's, it told me, you need to practice sitting in moments which is basically meditation. Yeah. And then um, I, I, like I read, some, I read a book on meditation. Like I, I, the stuff is interesting to me, especially the more I understand it. And then I started to understand like meditation also helps uh, calm the nervous system. If, if you, if you do it often enough, and then especially if you get into the practice of it, if you do it, like if you, if you get a habit over it, you'll, you'll maintain a calmer brain or even like you'll, 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 it's like you're exercising your brain in that sense. I feel like it, it'll give you a perpetual calmness if you can go about doing it for like three weeks at a time. Yeah. And, um, it's, and, I, and I loved that, like, it was like practicing focus. So when I get, so if I could sit down here and think about my big toe just on the floor for five minutes straight, which is, which would be very hard to do, but, um, I can apply that same focus on, Oh, I got to make sure that my hips are in the right place at takeoff on my practice drill for the next seven reps if I wanted to translate. So just kind of understanding how meditation will help me in my everyday moments and staying calm. And it'll actually help me in execution, getting into flow state and all that stuff. I felt like it just made it, it calmed me in the sense of like understanding and it calmed me in the sense of you're meditating. Like I'm actually meditating for calmness. So, so uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. So um, I was listening to I was what no I was yeah I was listening to a podcast I can't remember the woman's name but she was on Joe Rogan and they did a study on meditation so it was almost twelve minutes twelve minutes twelve minute meditation every day for up to eight weeks so and then they started seeing um some positive results with people so I guess the whole clickbait title was meditate for 12 minutes obviously it's a little bit more than that but what she was saying is the more the longer that you do it or the longer that you meditate for i.e 20 30 minutes over a longer period of time the more impactful it will will have on your body so um that was really interesting because i think one of the big things when it comes to meditation is time and i think that's why the clickbait was 12 minutes because 12 minutes is Mm -hmm. i guess not that long yeah and anyone can do it so yeah I guess from what I can remember, it's 12 minutes, I think for at least eight weeks and you will start seeing um, small differences. I think I saw that episode. Was that the the high five lady where she'd give herself a high five in the mirror? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember her name because I didn't watch it because remember, you know, obviously Joe Rogan's pretty much left youtube now he's all, he's all spotify so spotify yeah, yeah. so I, I i listened to it I, I can't remember her name but it was really fascinating because again i'm interested in meditation and again time is an excuse it really is an excuse mm-hmm. isn't it? it is it is an excuse but because of yeah. time i'm not meditating as much as i would like to yeah. it's a it's a 
it's a great practice to make a habit of. Um, I know that uh, Deepak Chopra has a 21 day meditation yeah. where it's 20, 20 minutes a day. Okay. And um, I, I stand behind it. I, I think that because like, I honestly, because I, I did it, I did it for over 21 days. Um, I think I did it for like 28 yeah. uh, days in a row. Um, and then I was doing it 20 minutes a day. I, I accrued a lot of minutes over this last year. Yeah. And um, I honestly think it changed my brain chemistry. Like, I feel like in terms, like the, I can, I can feel that moments in the past where I would be more anxious, like, like to where like, oh, this moment feels a lot like a past moment. I'm in a very similar situation, but it's not, I'm not acting upon the angst. It's like, I understand like, oh no, this is a moment that, um, that I am feeling a type of way, but the way that I'm feeling doesn't need to have a negative emotion assigned to it. Yeah. It could really just be a feeling. And I think, yeah, I just feel like meditation really helped with that. Just kind of, uh, yeah, being self-aware, being okay with self and like um, being better at dealing with moments that you're uncertain about. Yeah. This is my last question. So when it comes to your mindset, what do you think are your greatest strengths? Um, sticking to the big picture. I, I love that statement. I feel like if I, because I understand what I'm trying to accomplish in the future or overall doing the reps every day are easy because it makes sense that I need to do them. Like if I don't do this today, then I'm not going to be able to jump far in July. So like, um, Every and, and understanding like every rep counts towards the big picture. So like if I'm if I'm doing regen, if I'm doing rehab with the with the trainer, and she's just telling me like, oh, you got to get your right glute, your right glute firing, just that one right glute. And in this moment, a lot of people would tell themselves like, how does me getting my right glute to fire just a little bit apply to me jumping far in six months? Yeah. But if you do that, yeah, like, but I I genuinely understand that like, no, like you get that thing firing. And then you get that next thing firing and all this, all the cylinders are pumping. And then now by the time you get to then, you're going to be real happy with the fact that you got your glute firing six months ago. Mm -hmm. and I, I, uh, I think I create those understandings for almost everything that I do. And I, I think that it, 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 it keeps me, um, keeps me resilient. It keeps me driven for real. So I've got three more questions, but they all should be quite easy to answer. And the first one is, it's just really an interest of mine. So, when I'm watching championships on the TV, um, when it comes to long jumpers, triple jumpers and high jumpers, one of the things that I, I like and intrigues me is when they've done their jump, they go straight to their trainer. And my question to you is, oh, coach, sorry. So my, tr uh, my, my question to you is, what are some of those conversations about? You're saying after a good jump or after a bad jump? Either or, or yeah, jump? either or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can give an example, yeah. let's just say a good jump. Ooh. Um, honestly, uh, you know, it, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid and you, you do something cool and you want your mom to see, yeah, like you want him to, be, <laughs> I feel like that's a part of it. When you, when you do a good jump and you look at your coach, like, like that was it, right? Like that was, that was it. Yeah. Like that was, and they're like, yeah, like that's, that's a moment. But then after a bad jump where you're kind of like. <laughs> like fuck like, <laughs> what what happened you kind of because you 
because like we're 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 all very vulnerable out there for real like mm. um we're we're looking for support you don't want to have to be out there alone and it's why somebody looks to their coach i feel like is as simple as the fact that they're vulnerable in that moment yeah. like for 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 a positive support or for a negative support either way it's like you're my support system and we practice this and if i was at practice i would look at you for a moment if it went well and if i would if we were at practice and it went bad i would look at you and i'm trying to keep this as like as close to like my norm as possible so i th- i think it's i think it could be uh, as simple as that for okay. just a vulnerable point Okay. Um, I guess, yeah, second to last question is about amendments. So, again, when I'm watching Triple Jump and Long Jump, I love, I'm fascinated about the different type of styles. So, can you talk about a slight amendment that you have made from your earlier days to now your more experienced days on your run-up? Yeah, that's really, really interesting to me. So, on your run-up, what slight amendments have you changed over the years? Ooh, it's been... um. It's been my hips, where my hips are in space, making sure. Um, so I would, uh, I had a, I would say, I had a natural back pelvic tilt, or like my hips would tilt back that way. Okay. And then be your hips, 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 hips tilt back, hamstrings lengthen, and then you start reaching your feet out, which makes your hamstrings at an even longer length. Okay. And for me, that made me very vulnerable to hamstring injuries and it made me very susceptible to scratching because I wasn't running with my feet coming directly underneath me. And then with also with me sticking my foot out at the board, it would make me jump higher rather than just jumping out. So once I started to get my feet down underneath me, I started scratching less and I started to have a lower trajectory, which made me keep better speed coming into my second phase. Um, which then allowed me to have more speed going into my last phase, which made for a longer jump phase. But I feel like it was all predicated on where my hips were in space and making sure that I was striking directly down underneath my uh, my hips with my feet. So I wasn't going in higher than I needed to. And um, and I wasn't losing any speed. Okay. Um, thanks for that. Last question. So doing my due diligence on yourself, and one of the things that I saw on your Instagram page was mental health advocate. So mm-hmm. um, for you personally, how are you pushing the positive image or yeah, how are you pushing the positive image of mental health? I, I can't say I've, I've done it as much as I would like to in terms of like making it public yeah. and like, like, I, I guess I don't feel like I have the, the reach to actually get my voice out to, to everybody that, that I want to hear it okay, yet. Okay. But I, I try to, I try to, I guess, keep the lane open by being open about how I feel about mental health yeah. and the importance of it. So like, I, it's hard for me to get into a conversation without speaking about mental health. Yeah. And like, uh, and I'm looking for like, I guess four more opportunities in the sport for people to be speaking about it. I feel like we're kind of early in this mental health wave right now. So just kind of speaking out about it, being open that being open with the fact that I feel like mental health is an important factor of anybody's life. I like athlete, uh, professional business person, um, mom, dad, uh, all those things. Like I, I feel like, as of now, that's how I'm trying to uh, 
move it forward just by like being open, uh, being willing to talk about it. Uh, and, and, and that's exactly why I even put it on my Instagram. So if anybody does see that, it's like, oh, well, well what do you think about mental health? I think we should all have better mental health. I think we should all be mindful. I think that we should all be thinking about these things all the time and not necessarily all the time, but like uh, thinking about these things in relation to where we want to be in life and potentially why something is lacking mm. or why uh, or how we can uh, propel ourselves forward. Like I, uh, I love uh, mental health for that reason, because it, it I think it, it, it makes it so people don't just have to be a victim of the moment they can they can control their moments. Mm. And I think a world full of that would be a, a better place. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Chris, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, um, Instagram or Twitter, fly with two Ys, like Chris B, F-L-Y-Y-L-I-K-E, Chris B. And that's um, on Twitter and instagram find me on facebook chris bernard um yeah um I'm, just message me I'm, I'm around i ain't doing nothing but training skateboarding and listening to music so if you if you need a brain to pick i'm, I'm, I'm definitely around <laughs> chris that was a really really a really good podcast i really enjoyed it there was a lot spoken about hence the reason why it's gone on a lot longer than our normal scheduled podcast so we oh. we couldn't stop we we couldn't stop there were so many things that we uh. we delved into and definitely listeners are definitely going to get something from it so thank you thank you very much man i appreciate you guys this is great and i got a little nervous coming into it you guys made me real comfortable so i appreciate you guys you guys asked great questions yeah no thank you guys thanks for the opportunity thank you we appreciate you absolutely appreciate you guys if you are a new listener welcome aboard if you are a regular listener continue to share listen until next time guys stay safe stay healthy peace